Good day. I hope everyone had a blessed and beautiful week. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John in chapter 3. Today we'll be covering verses 13 through 21, and the title of today's lesson is Jesus Meets with Nicodemus, part 2. So reviewing from last week, we, we seen where Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus by night, the scripture told us, right? And he has a few questions for Jesus. See, he doesn't understand really what Jesus is talking about, what Jesus is, is teaching him. Now, understand that Nicodemus was known as the teacher in that day. In other words, he knew the law, the law of Moses. When I speak about the law, I'm speaking about the law of Moses, the commandments of God. He knew the law anyone else in that time. So Nicodemus, we see that although he goes to Jesus and he asks questions, right? He's still blinded by the truth because he's lost. Because he's more worried about his religion, his traditions of the elders, than he is about the word of God, than he is about the truth of God. So we can say that he puts more emphasis, right, on religion rather than that being said, open up your Bibles, and we're going to continue on, and we're going to see the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. That's why it's called Jesus Meets with Nicodemus. Last week was part one, and this week now we're covering part two. So open up your Bibles to John chapter three, and starting tonight, today, with verse 13. And Verse 13 starts off like this. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one came from heaven, the Son of God. Now remember, this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Verse 14, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes shall not perish, but have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So let's go back up to verse 13. In verse 13, Jesus starts off, he's continuing on the conversation with Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus right here, he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So this passage right here has great theological implications, you can say. It tells us that Jesus, Yeshua, he comes down from heaven so we can see that his origin isn't here on earth, but it's in the heavens. It's heavenly. So we can see that he is united with his father 
in heaven. And he's, he's united with his father in heaven with a purpose. Because God had a plan for all of humanity. And that plan is that the whole world would be saved from sin and eternal death. So we can say that this speaks also of the divinity of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a little more about that later on because we're going to refer back to the book of Genesis as we did a couple of weeks ago. But the, look at that second part of that text. The one who comes from heaven, he says. So he speaks of himself coming out from the heavens. Now, Here's the problem that we have as humans, right? Many times when we see this word heaven, right, we think of a location, you can say. Now, we know the heavens, they're related to God, right? And in the Bible, it speaks about how man dwells upon the earth and God dwells where? In the heavens, right? Now, we can say that heaven, the word heaven, we can say speaks of a total different dimension. Also, we can say that there is a separation or we can say a distinction between man's habitation and that of God. There's another way that we can understand this term, heaven. And we know, that, we know this, that heaven, when we speak about heaven, we always, we should, if we came to mind it, we should speak, we, we should speak and think about what? The kingdom. So when you talk about the word heaven, you should be thinking about the kingdom. And this is where Jesus is coming from. It's coming from the kingdom. And what do I mean by this? You see our, our hope. Our expectation, right? Any connection with the kingdom must go through Yeshua. It must go through Jesus. This is why he's here. He's available to us. But he's he's available to us by faith. And this is why he extended his grace. And this is why one should enter into a covenantal relationship with him in order that they might have a kingdom connection. Now, <clears throat> it is wrong just to see the kingdom So a lot of us think, oh, I, I'm not worried about the kingdom when I die. But biblically speaking, this is wrong, right? Because this should be a present day reality for each and every one of us who believes in Jesus, right? Who believes in God. You see, we're a call to demonstrate that kingdom today, here on earth as we live. Now, why do I say that? Because in the scripture, it speaks about how we're just sojourners, you can say, right? And what do I mean by that? See, we are strangers and foreigners into this world. And the Bible tells us that we're just passing through here on this earth, right? Remember, you're born of this earth, but you're not to be what? A part of this earth. You're to be separated, right? You see, our origin initially when we're born, the scripture tells us this, that we're born into bondage of sin because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, right? You can say that, that humans, because of the flesh, we're very materialistic in nature because we're born of this world. And we know that the world is controlled by Satan. And we know that Satan is a deceiver. He's a liar, right? And, and, and he dwells in darkness, right? But you see, through faith, what happens? The scripture tells us, right, that when we become a new creation, right, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we understand that he is the Messiah and that he died and he rose again on the third day, but the Father raised him up, 
Then we are, are a new creation. We are born again, so to speak, right? And the apostle Paul speaks about this transformation in the book of Romans in chapter 12. He says that the, at once, that once, at one time, right, that when we become a new creation, that we should begin to demonstrate that kingdom. In other words, we should have kingdom likeness, as he's saying, right? We should take on the kingdom character. We, we should look at everything from a kingdom perspective. You put on this earth right now, people. We put on this earth. God made us in his own image. Which means you should be taking on the character of who? Of God. You should be taking on the character of Yeshua. And when you come to know him, right? When, when, when you accept him into your heart and you turn your life around and you repent of sins, you start to walk that Christian life. You start to walk like Jesus walked. You, you should be taking on the attributes of Jesus, right? You, you should be conforming to the ways that the kingdom tells us that we should be. But it should be done here on earth for all to see. So you can make a difference. You can have an impact in other people's lives, right? So this is what we speak about when he says that all things are new. You might say, oh, what's new? The kingdom quality, that's what's new, right? The kingdom lives inside of us, amen? See, and this is the newness that, that displays or depicts our lives. So over and over, what we're going to see right here is that John's going to emphasize a kingdom, but not just the kingdom, the kingdom reality. Now, we also see this phrase, the son of man. Now, why is this so important in the scripture? Because the word son in this context has to do with servant. So we can say that he is the servant of all of humanity. Why put this right here at this location, at this part of the scripture? Because it tells us his purpose. See, the reasons why Jesus left the heavens, and the reason that he came down to this earth, it was for the purpose of serving humanity, amen? And what was that purpose, right? It's all tied to his name, Yeshua, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, which means, Yeshua means what? Savior. So, so he came that we might have a chance at salvation. And we need to understand that salvation is not simply the individual not receiving the judgment or the wrath, right? That's what we think about. That's what we know. See, if you're saved and you know Jesus, then you won't be facing what? Everybody's going to face judgment because everybody gets judged. The, the, the difference is if you're an unbeliever, you're going to be at the white throne judgment. But if you're a believer, you're going to be at the bema seat. All those good deeds that you did on earth while you was living, because you had that kingdom mind, because you lived like a, for a kingdom purpose, right? You made an impact for the kingdom of God. You're given rewards. You're given crowns. And at the beam of judgment, your life is going to be played for you. You're saved. You're a believer. You, you're in the kingdom of God. You're in it. Heaven as we know it, right? But you're still going to be judged. Good deeds. Now, good deeds don't save you. I want you to understand that. You're only saved through faith, by believing, by committing yourself to Christ. Amen. It's the only reason, only way you can be saved. And Jesus is the only one that can save you. So you will be judged. But unbelievers, you're going to go in front of the white throne judgment. Your life is played out in front of everybody. Is played out, Jesus is going to look at you and say, depart from me, you evil and wicked, because you never knew me. Now I don't know you, right? 
and he's going to cast them down into the lake of fire, into hell, right? So what we see here is that because we, we, we didn't repent, because we didn't accept Jesus as, as our Lord and Savior, we're going to face eternal We're going to face eternal judgment, right? So, so we find out here that, that Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn us the first time. The first time he came to save us, right? So that everyone might have a chance of forgiveness of sins and eternal life, right? So we don't have to live with the consequence of sin, you can say. Now, we need to understand this on two different levels right here, right? First of all, when, when we say not receiving the consequence of sin, we're speaking about eternal judgment, what we just talked about. You see, but there's another present-day reality to this. And you might say, what is that, right? See, if, if we don't live under the bondage of sin, what do I mean by that? That means that we have the freedom. that We can be delivered, right, in order that we might live according to the plans and the purposes of God. And that's the most important thing, as that we're living for the will, we're living for his plans and his purposes that he has for our life here on this earth. And when you do that, that's what's pleasing to God, right? Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So we, we see the truth being represented here by an Old Testament passage, Old Testament scripture. And this just shows the consistency in the thought and the theological perspective between the Old and the New Covenant. Now, look what it says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now, if we're going to understand this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers, in the Torah. Book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 21, in the book of Numbers, verses 8 and 9 states this. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of the bronze and attached it to the pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. So we see here, that there's disobedience among the people. That's what's taking place here, right? That the people have turned away from a godly expectation, you can say. Meaning what? Meaning meaning this, that they aren't seeing things from God's perspective. They're not seeing things from God's point of view. Therefore, they're not making the right decisions in their life. So what happens to them, right? They fall into sin. They fall into idolatry. That's what's going on in the book of Numbers here. Therefore, the outcome of that in God's eyes has to be judgment. Because God over and over and over, if you go back and you read that section in the Torah, in the Bible, in the book of Numbers, you see that God over and over tried to get them to change their ways through Moses. He would speak to Moses and go tell the people this, he would say. And Moses would go, but they were so disobedient to Moses, but in reality they were being disobedient to God, right? So because of this, God has to pass judgment. And, and there are experiences, they're, they're going to experience this judgment through snakes. Right? Because what happens? They, 
Because God has to punish in some type of way. God has to discipline in some type of way. It's God's provision. So he instructs Moses. He says, I want you to make this bronze serpent on this pole. And I want you to lift up the pole. Now this word pole, right, in Hebrew can also mean miracle. It can also mean some type of victorious proclamation. So as this bronze serpent, right, was up on this pole, those that had been bitten by snakes, by serpents, they can look up at that pole with belief, with faith. God would heal them according to the scriptures in the book of Numbers, right? So we see an Old Testament scripture or story being supported by New Testament reality, right? And what do I mean by that? to Jesus being on the cross, right? See, the same way that Jesus was lifted up on that tree, on that cross, it represents a purpose for proclaiming victory, you can say, amen? See, that purpose is what? The deliverance of sin because of the consequences of sin. So he wants us to understand that God sent his only begotten son into this world for one purpose, for provision. And that provision and that purpose was that we can escape judgment, that we could escape condemnation eternally. Eternally. Right? In other words, we won't have to be punished eternally because of the outcome of sin. Because when you're born, you're born into this world and you're born of sin because of what Adam and Eve did, right? So he's saying the only way that you can avoid this eternal condemnation. Jesus. You have to have faith in Jesus. Now, to use the term here, wilderness, right? The term wilderness means dependence upon God. See, and this is what God was trying to teach the Israelites in the wilderness from their escape from Egypt. If you remember when they parted, the, when, when God parted the Red Sea and they escaped. Over and over, they roamed for 40 years in the desert generation of, of, of Israelites that left Egypt. And why did they do that? See, because really, technically, if you look at a map, and a lot of scholars say this, from Egypt to the promised land, if you walk a straight shot across, it takes you in between 11 and 14 days. But yet God sent them in circles in the wilderness. When I speak about wilderness, I'm speaking about desert. Years. And you might say, why God did that? Because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience to God. Because all because they never were satisfied. Right? They always complained. They murmured about stuff, complained about stuff, right? Which should be a lesson to us that we should be appreciative of the things that we have in life, the things that happen to us, right? God's aware of. There's no surprise. God's not caught off guard by what's going on in your life. But if you trust in him and you believe in him and you have faith in him and you look at the, the glass half full instead of half empty, I guess, so to speak, right? That's how he wants you to live your life. Because if you look at the Israelites in the first generation, all they did was complain and not, not one of them except two made it into the promised land. Moses didn't even make it into the promised land because he disobeyed God, right? So the lesson for us is that, that we should be thinking positive, that, that we should look. And understand that God is in control of our life. And if God is in control of our life through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? Then that's all you need. It doesn't matter what situation you're going through today. 
Doesn't matter the heartache and the pain that you're going through today. Know that God's fighting your battles. And if you trust and believe, then he's going to bring you out victorious. Because Jesus was victorious on the cross. And when you look to Jesus, right? Not that you're going to have, it's going to be easy. Because he, he tells us if you're going to be a follower of his, that you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow him. You're going to have to deny yourself, which means it's hard to do that. And you're going to have to go through some difficult times and some hard times. You know, but he's in control and he's at the center of it. Storm. He's asleep in the boat, right? Oh, the disciples are panicking. No need to panic. Be still. Be at rest is what he says. Amen. That's what he's telling us. So we see right here, wilderness means a dependence upon God. And he wants us to depend upon God through his son, Jesus. Amen. Now look what it says also, the son of man. So this means, once again, servant. So Jesus came to serve humanity, all of mankind, right? He came to turn back all of humanity so that all have an eternal relationship with the Father through him. Now, let's look at the book of Ezekiel for a couple of minutes here. If you read the book of Ezekiel, you're going to see throughout the book of Ezekiel, there's a term in there that says, son of man. Because... Ezekiel's referring to himself over and over and over as this, right? Now, why is this important? Because Ezekiel prophesies to the people who are in captivity. And he was called over and over and over in Scripture, the Son of Man. So this term was well known in the Jewish culture as the one who prophesied to those being in captivity with a message of being set free from bondage of this world and entering the kingdom of God, which is the promised land. 15, that everyone who believes shall not perish, but have eternal life in him. Now, this eternal life means a kingdom life, right? Now, he says right here, not perish, but have eternal life in him. So this is also telling us something. It's telling us that there are consequences if we don't believe in him who God has provided with a kingdom purpose. In other words, Jesus. You see, if, if our desires is, is, is not to turn away from the bondage of sin, right? In other words, we don't want to live in sin, but we want to live according to the kingdom. And if we don't have that desire, then I can tell you we're not going to be demonstrating faith. See, if we aren't demonstrating faith, then we aren't believing in God's promises and God's plans. What's going to be the outcome of that, right? The Bible tells us here that we will perish. Yeah, but God supplied us, right? So that we, we don't have to receive this judgment, this condemnation eternally, right? See, God supplied us with his only begotten son, Jesus. So he's saying here that it's only through Yeshua, only through Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that we have hope. So if we go back to verses 14 and 15, what they're talking about is this, that when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, the desert for 40 years, right? God, because their disobedience, they wouldn't listen. God sent snakes to punish the people for their rebelliousness. And those doomed to die from the snake bites, they could be cured. Because God told Moses, I want you to make a serpent on this pole and raise it up. And those that are bitten, if they look at the serpent, 
If they look at the pole at top of the, and they have faith, then they will be healed, right? So those that are doomed from snake bites, you can say, could be cured by obeying God's command. All they had to do was believe and look at the elevated bronze serpent. In other words, God wanted them to obey. You see, this is the point. This you have to say, you can say it's it points to the cross. It points to, to what Jesus did for all of humanity, right? I mean, looking to Jesus for our salvation happens the same way, people. It happens the same way. See, you will be saved from sin's deadly bite, but you can only be saved by that by having faith in Jesus, by looking towards Jesus, believing in him, knowing that he will save you. Amen. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Or some of your Bibles might say eternal life. So we might, you see the, the word here, world. But this means all people. So we see it is because God loved the world that he will bring about a redemptive outcome. And what is that? Redemption. And we know that this is related to worship. So what God wants his creation to demonstrate here is to worship him. This means that it's going to reflect his glory. Why? Because when <clears throat> that is a reality, right? That's going to be perfection. There's going to be a holiness, right, in your life. There's going to be righteousness being displayed in your life. Now, we see the word love here. And the word love is an active word. So whenever love is seen in Scripture, we can say that we're going to see an outcome. you see love in scripture in the bible it is expressed by giving some scholars say that love is a sacrificial word also right so oftentimes what we see here we're going to see it throughout the scripture there is love there is a giving there is a provision there is some type of action that is taking place so because god look what the scripture says because god so loved the world he gave God's son. And notice here that there's an important word in the order in the scripture. That's what it says. Gave. Right? That is what he's emphasizing here. So the last part of the scripture says, God gave his only begotten son. Now this phrase, only begotten, means uniqueness. This means that there's only one like him, no other. So in other words, he is the only one whom salvation provided. And who is he? Jesus Christ, Yeshua. So the scripture tells us, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have, look what it says, eternal or everlasting life. Now this is important. See, this doesn't mean a partial life, right? See, many, many people say, if I have eternal life, that means, you know, e e eternal means it's going on forever. It can never be lost. It's not a half-life. It's not a partial life, right? It is eternal life. Because you can't be lost if you have eternal life. See, I want you to understand that when you die, when you die, your soul is going to one or two places. It's going to heaven or it's going to hell. It's only two places. And you're there forever. Because the Bible tells us 
die face the what? Judgment. To be absent in the body is to be present what? With the Lord. You're facing judgment the minute you die. You're going to one or two places. Where you want to spend eternity? Because that's forever. Not coming back, right? That's the promises of God. If you believe, if you believe that Jesus was the Messiah, if you believe that he died and he rose on the third day, then you are saved. Then you will have everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven with God. Amen. See, God keeps his promises. And God says this right here, that I will keep my covenant with you. Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's go back to the Old Testament. God says this. And their sins, he says, I will cast them away and I will remember them what? No more. God forgets. When you come to him and you believe in him through his son, Jesus. See, and you repent. Now, repent doesn't save you. I want you to understand that. It just comes, it goes with knowing Jesus. It goes with having a relationship with Jesus. Because when you have that relationship with Jesus, you want to come clean. And he wants to cleanse you of everything. That's what he did on the cross. That's the work that he did. It's already given. It's already done. The work is over. All you need to do is accept it by faith. Amen. And when you come to him and you accept that by faith, then you start having a relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you start pouring out your heart because you want to cleanse yourself. You want to cleanse the temple that's in you. That temple is Jesus, right? And you want to tell him, even although he knows it all, you just need to tell him. And once you repent, you become clean. You, you, you cleanse because of what he did on the cross, you see? You see, the new covenant isn't dependent upon man like the old covenant was, right? See, the old covenant just covered sins. That's why you had the atonement of sins once a year. The high priest would go in the Holy of Holies, Right, and they would sacrifice this lamb and all the blood, and he would, he would worship up all the prayers and all the sins of the nation of Israel. But he covered it. It didn't get rid of it. It didn't remove it. Right? And in Jeremiah 31, he says, because of what Jesus did on the cross, right, that when you come and you repent of your sins and you talk to God, that God remembers them no more. He blots them out. The great God of this universe, that maker that made it all. He doesn't remember. You remembered him, but he doesn't. And that, that tells us right here that salvation is yours for those who believe in God through his son, Jesus. Amen. Right? So we go back to the, the new covenant isn't dependent upon man. It's not covering your sins. We depend upon one man, one human being that lived 33 years, and that's Jesus Christ. Right? And because of the work he did at Calvary, your redemption is free. All you have to do is accept him. All you have to do is commit to him, right? See, all of this responsibility of the new covenant is on God himself. See, <clears throat> he will send all that is necessary. His grace, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness, right? All of this is the outcome of the kingdom. And all of this needs to be realized and shown in our lives, right? And what a wonderful change that he brought about to us by sending his only begotten son, Jesus, to the cross. Amen. For God did not send his only son into the world. Look what it says, to condemn the world. 
but to save the world through him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So what he's saying here is the first time that Jesus came into this world was not to condemn, but was to save. To save all of humanity. And what he did at the cross at Calvary proved it. And everybody on the face of this earth, every human has a chance to know Jesus and come to Jesus. And when you know that and you accept that, and you accept him by faith, and you commit to him, you'll be in this kingdom of heaven that he's talking about. But look what else he says. But to save the world through him. Now the word save, he says right here, right? So he's telling us the world can't save itself. But it needed to be saved. So this means that somebody else had to act upon bringing this to reality. And that was God. And God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to do this work, to do the job. So Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. 18, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So look what he says here. The first text states this. Whoever believes in him, it is not condemned. So if you believe that Jesus was sent by God, that he is the Messiah, that he died and was buried on the third day, he rose and you're saved. The father raised him up. He's saying right here that you're saved. You're not going to be condemned. You're going to be judged because everyone's judged, but you will not be condemned into hell. But look what else he says. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So one who doesn't believe, then they're going to be judged. They're going to be condemned into eternal hell. See, he emphasizes here, this is no change for an unbeliever. See, the unbeliever, like all people, we all born into this world. We all born into the bondage of sin. But you see, if they don't do anything about that, then what's going to happen? They're going to receive eternal judgment. Why? Because they were born in sin and never accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They never committed their life to Christ. They never committed their life to Jesus, right? And we know that Jesus was sent by God to take on the sins of the world. So this passage tells us that the one who doesn't believe is already condemned. Why? Because the passage tells us that they didn't believe in the name of God's chosen one, his only begotten son, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Verse 19. Look what Jesus tells Nicodemus. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people who love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So Jesus tells Nicodemus here, light has come into the world. What is he talking about? He's talking about himself. We know that Jesus was sent by God to save the world. And we know that Jesus is the true light. Jesus is that beacon of light that shines bright for the whole world to see. But look what else Jesus tells Nicodemus. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. See, people rather live for the world. And the world represents Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. That's what Jesus is saying right here, right? And we're all born into sin, but believers know Jesus. And because they know Jesus, the minute they sin, the Holy Spirit pricks them. And what happens? They turn to God again. They start walking in the Spirit. You see, you, you, I say this quite often, and here's another scripture that backs it up. 
controlled by two entities. You're controlled by the Holy Spirit or you're controlled by the flesh. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is the Trinity, right? And the flesh is controlled by who? Satan. And those walking in darkness never accept Jesus because they don't know him. And if they don't know him, they're not going to repent. And if they don't repent, they can continue walking in sin, continue walking in darkness, and they won't change. So you see, in order to be saved, you must turn away from sin, which means this, you're going to have to put pride aside. Because you see, most people that don't repent, pride gets in the way. Not all, but most. Pride gets in the way, and, 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 and they're scared. They're afraid, right? You know, when you, when you, when you invite people to go to a church or go to a Bible study, right? And they're living in darkness. They're afraid at first, man, to, to step into a church, to step into a congregation of holy people, of righteous people, right? Not that we're better than them, because we're not. They just lost. But the darkness, when it sees the light, the darkness wants to run. See, the devil runs from the light. The devil doesn't like light. That's why if you're living in the light and you're walking in the light, going to come at you real hard to try to pull you into that darkness. He's going to create deceit in your mind, confusion in your mind, temptation in your mind. Look what he did to Jesus. He did all of that to Jesus. And how Jesus defeated that? By quoting scripture. It's important that you know scripture. It's important that you pray. It's important that, that you lead, you allow the Holy Spirit to protect you, to lead you, and to guide you, right? Amen? Verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear of their deeds will be exposed. Now look at that first text here. Everyone who does evil hates the light. So these people that live and they practice evil, they walk in darkness, right? They hate the light. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and because they hate the light, they hate the truth. They hate righteousness. See, all these people, all they worry about and all they want to worry about is they practice evil. Now, I'm sure that these people that practice evil, right, that walk in darkness, they don't think anything's wrong with what they're doing. Because they just don't know. But I want to talk a little bit about this word evil from a biblical perspective. See, we need to understand the concept of evil from a biblical perspective. You see, in our language, when we see evil or we say evil, that word has a negative meaning. It has a negative effect, right? But you see in the Bible, the word evil means that which is not in obedience to the will of God. Let me repeat that again. Evil in the Bible, from God's point of view, means you're not in obedience with what he wants for your life. See, God has a will and a purpose and a plan for your life. And everything that you do, you should be seeking the Lord in prayer. You should be allowing the Spirit to lead you. See, many people are doing things that are outside of God's will right now. Now, they call themselves Christians, and they go to church, and they do a lot of work for the church, right? You might even be in a congregation. You might even be a, a, doing a, a Bible study, whatever. But you think you're walking in the light doing the will of God. Well, in God's eyes, that's evil. It goes against the purpose, the plans, and the will of God, right? You might say, there's no way. 
But I'm telling you, it is. From a biblical perspective, that's how God looks at evil. Now, here's another important truth that I want to talk to you about, right? If the things I do, in other words, it pleases me because I want pleasure from it, right? Or it gratifies me or it lifts me up, right? In other words, I get motivation from doing all these things because it's what I want, what I feel, what I need to do, or I want to do, right? Then this all goes against the will of God. It's evil in God's eyes. See, it's only when we submit to, when we bring ourselves into obedience to God through his son Jesus, by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, right? When we submit to his plan, when we submit to his will and his purpose for our life, then this right here is what's pleasing to God. Now, going back to the text, look what it says. Those walking in darkness hate the light. Now, what do we know about the book of Genesis? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In chapter one, what's the first thing that God created? Remember we said there was, it was null, it was void, it was empty. And God said what? Let there what? Be light. And there was light. So we can say that God, because he spoke it into existence, right? God brought order into this world. So, so here's the key. It all comes down to this right here. Do you want God's order in your life? In other words, are you seeking and pursuing God's will, God's plans and God's purposes for your life? Or are you seeking your own order? Are you doing what you want to do? You see, many people today, they pray. But when they pray, they're praying for their own order, praying for what they want. And, and you could do that because in the book of Matthew, we study that. God said, ask for anything you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get it. Jesus said that. If it's not according to God's will and God's plans, you're not going to do it. He's not going to move, right? But when they pray, these people, right, they pray to God and they want their will, their own will and their own purposes, and God's not going to move. If it's not according to his plans and purposes, right? And this is why many people, they get frustrated, right? They, they, they walk in a frustrated spiritual life, you can say. And they think that God doesn't hear them or God doesn't know them or God doesn't love them. And that's not the case. It is simply that you want the desires of your own flesh. And we know that flesh is rooted in sin. So when you think and pray like this, God's not going to move, people. You see, but instead of seeking God's will, instead of changing their mind, instead of thinking, changing their thinking and their perspective of how they look at things, right? What they do, they just turn away from God. They just walk away from God. They walk away from the truth. They walk away from righteousness and they go on living like the rest of the world. They, they continue to live in sin. They continue to walk in darkness, right? Look what else the scripture tells us. Second half of that text says this. And it will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So, so they don't want anyone to see what they're, what, what they're doing is not right. It's wrong. See, that's why a lot of people, when you call people out, and I'm not the judge. There's only one judge, and that's Jesus Christ, amen? But when you call people out for their sin, when you call people out of, of what they're doing and how they're living, I'm doing it out of love. 
Christians should be doing the same thing. You're trying to help them. But you know, it's the first thing they say to get defensive. And they say, why are you judging me? You're not the judge. That's the first thing they say. But the truth is, when they say these things, they really don't want any judgment on themselves from anyone, you see. So they say this because they don't want it to be said that they aren't living according to God's purposes, God's ordinance in their life, right? God's discipline in their life. They're being disobedient to God. They're not living for the purposes and plans of God. So when they say, why are you judging me? You're not the judge. This is what their thinking is. Because they're not living according to God's expectations for their own life. And they know that. And they're trying to hide that, right? And I'm not, I, I, I never judge people. My job is to teach the word of God. My job is, is, is to teach the truth to people. To open up their eyes, because this is the word of God. This is not this is not Blight Onestale's stuff going on. This is the Bible. So, you know, when, when I teach something in the Bible and it kind of pricks your conscience a little bit, then don't get mad at the messenger. Don't get mad at me. That's the Holy Spirit telling you that maybe you need to look at this a little deeper and maybe change how you look at things or how you do things, right? Because how how you act and what you say and what you do tells a whole story about your spiritual life. I want you to understand that. Now, I'm going to touch some people here, and, uh, and people might get a little angry and upset, but this is the Word of God. You, you can't call yourself a Christian and go against that which goes against the Word of God. And when somebody calls you out on it, the first thing you say is, why do you want to judge me? No, that person's saying that out of love because he wants to save your soul. Because right now you're lost, right? And I'm going to bring up the abortion deal again. I mean, in my Bible, God doesn't say kill children. In my Bible, the people that killed children, killed children were, were punished. They were judged, right? So you can't call yourself a Christian and say you walk with Jesus. But yet you support abortion, the killing of babies. I'm sorry. You know, and, and a lot of people's response to that is, well, what about the woman? The woman has emotions. The Holy Spirit doesn't have emotions. The Holy Spirit is the truth. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, the Trinity, is about righteousness. It's about the truth. See, emotions come from the flesh. So when you say those things, then you're being controlled by the flesh. You're being controlled by the devil. And again, if, if your conscience right here is pricking you right now, then you might need to dwell deeper in the word of God. You might need to seek God in prayer more because he's telling you. If it's pricking you, he's telling you that you need to change because there's something in the side, inside of you that the Holy Spirit's telling you, I want you to change because you are my child and I love you. Amen. Last verse for today, verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth, light so they may be seen plainly that they have not done or has been done in the sight of God let's look at that first text but whoever lives by truth comes into light see truth is related in scripture to faith 
So we can say that a follower of Jesus, Yeshua, practices truth. In other words, he or she walks in faith. And look at the second half of that text. So they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So these people, see, they don't want anything to be hidden in their life, right? In other words, they want it to be open. See, if you're a believer, you love Christ, you had peace, you had joy, right? Because our lives are transparent, and because it's transparent, because you have that attitude that Jesus is in control, then that produces peace in your life. You see, if you're living in darkness, right, then you're sinning. You're not repenting. You're not being cleansed. You're not allowing what, what Jesus did on the cross. You, you're neglecting that, and it's a free gift to you, but you don't want it. That something that you did is going to get out. In other words, you don't have inner peace. And this inner peace, right, is related to joy. It's related to contentment. Now, here's the truth. When I'm walking in the purposes and the plans of God, then God's going to move in my life. See, he moves you according to his will, his purposes. It doesn't matter how he moves you or where he moves you. You still have peace. You still have joy. You still have happiness in your life, just like David in the Old Testament did, right? David had a heart for God. But David, at one point in his life, turned from God, you can say, right? Because he, he sinned. And that sin was a separation from God. And he never went to God in prayer. And he never repented. And it just kept on getting worse and worse. Then what happened? He commits adultery. And he has Bathsheba's husband killed. He committed murder. Yes, King David did all of this. But yet, the Holy Spirit pricked him, so to speak. God warned him. said, David, this is not you. you. You need to change. And what David did, he sought God in prayer. And he repented. And God used David. See, we all sinners and we all do wrong. We all had a past at one point where with something that we probably are, are, are not happy about. It's not pleasable, you're right, right? But when you seek God, Jeremiah 31, chapter 31 tells us when you repent, he remembers your sins no more. He blots them out. And look what he did with David. David's the best king that Israel, Jerusalem ever had, right? And look what else the scripture tells us. In the sight of God. This means a change is taking place in our lives, right? See, we have a direct relationship with God through his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So we can say that this represents redemption. You see, the power of redemption brings us into a relationship with God, amen? And when this happens, we know that in and through God, all things are possible. And that ends our lesson for today. We're going to be back next week. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Until next week, y'all have a wonderful and blessed week, wonderful holidays. Merry Christmas. Celebrate the birth of Jesus. Amen. We appreciate you all tuning in. We love you guys. God bless.